the ordinary extraordinary. Isn't that what's glorious about this ordinary woman, Mary, who when Jesus, I won't go to the text, but when Jesus, somebody says, God bless the woman who bore you, right? When Jesus was speaking and doing his miracles and Jesus said, no, 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 bless those who do the will of my father. That Jesus is pointing it away again from the attention that, that we seem to, you know, see someone and think, oh, it must be this person, Mary or the carpenter Joseph. They were this middle class rich people, meaning they were not princes or kings, but I bet they never went hungry. I bet that when they arrived in Bethlehem, they couldn't, you know, pull the strings to get a private place to have this godchild. So it means they had some means to be able to travel, but they didn't have unlimited resources and connections or powerful people to boot somebody else out of their private room so they could have this child. It says in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor in Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register Syria. We're still talking about Syria. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee and Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. Modern scholars, of course, you probably heard me talk a little bit about it, argue whether Jesus was born really out in a farm, you know, kind of a, a, you know, a distant place out, you know, kind of away from town under a little uh, under a little roof or something like it's it's argued. I think the the strongest position is that it was probably a front room near where the, they kept the animals. They fed the animals in those little villages. You had a milking cow and a few little animals that you, you, you kind of kept close eye on, took care of, made sure they were warm and taken care of. Uh, that, you know, they owned milking cows. A donkey was maybe kind of like their mode of transportation when they loaded supplies. Um, or had needed to plow something. Those animals, they kept close to him. It's unlikely that they registered in Bethlehem, and that's where they were from, and that they didn't have any relatives that they could kind of drop in on stay if there was no room, you know, you know what I'm saying? But the fact, how many have dropped in on relatives and they didn't have a private bedroom for you, but you were fine just being on the couch. You were in the front room. How many have just dropped a sleeping bag on the front room and you, you were just fine? When you're young, a concrete floor, you can sleep on concrete. How many can sleep on a concrete floor with just a sleeping bag and you're just, just fine? You know, when you're my age, you need like, um, mypillow.com or something. What's the guy's? You, you need his help. So it was probably he was near family. He was probably, but he probably he didn't have a separate little private place to have the baby. And it makes sense that some of those animals are around there because uh, the bedrooms are full. And a food trough would would have been convenient. Little bassinet that lined with some soft hay and some mother's blankets probably wasn't quite as rustic as and primitive as we might imagine, but we don't really know for sure. But can you imagine what kind of auction could take place if the items from Jesus' story could be actually located? Like starting at the beginning of Luke here, you know, like if you could find one of the original lists of the census, right? If you had a historical document, a, a, a Roman census, and there was 
Joseph's signature of his family in Bethlehem. Can you imagine what, what kind of dollars that would go for in an auction? Because somebody would want it in their historical library or museum. If you could find one of those authenticated, verified by some global historical society, how much do you think that would auction for? Guesses? A million pesos. No, that's not worth much, Bob. A billion? Yeah. But it would be millions uh, for sure. Ordinary food trough, which became the cradle of Jesus. If there was a logo underneath it from the original Jewish families of, you know, Joseph and Mary, they were, they were carpenters, so probably they were from a family of carpenters. And what if underneath that wooden box was the logos or Joseph's little initials carved underneath it, you know, with a, with a date under there or something that could be authenticated with a time stamp. There would be people that would go like, whoa, suddenly some average little piece or chunk of wood not worth anything suddenly becomes some priceless piece of, hist of history, right? And there were shepherds out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. If it could be proven... Which hillside in this area the shepherds were tending their flocks at night when the angel of the Lord appeared to them? You, you know what people would do, right? They would build a big fence around that hillside, and, and they would put a gate on there, and they would charge $10 for every visitor who wanted to be in the same spot where the angels terrified those shepherds. Millions of selfies would be taken and posted on the Christmas cards. Hey, I have an idea for the Christmas card this year. I'll take a picture of myself on the hillside where the, where the angels said, you know, glory to God in the highest where they appeared to the shepherds. You know, I'll, I'll put that picture of me, and I'll send it out to my family. I'll, uh, I'll have it all taken care of. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on, uh, on whom his favor rests. The postcard holding the shepherd's staff. They'd probably, you know, you could probably rent them for $2. Hold the staff, put a sheep over your head, you know, wrap. I got to do that when I was in Israel. I got to wrap a sheep around my neck and take a little photo, and it was really kind of, it was kind of cool, and I, I made sure it was really fast because I didn't know what was going to leak out of that little lamb when I squeezed him. The postcard holding a shepherd's staff from Bethlehem would be sent out for Christians by the millions. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared uh, with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who hear, heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. If a home, a manger, or a barn of a hotel could be located again, the 
people around the world would flock. The marketing would begin to happen endlessly, and it would be a, a prayer shrine of the must-sees of everyone who visited the Holy Land. As it is, there are multiple you know, entrepreneurs who are claiming to have rights to the burial site of Jesus. And every one of them, I'm not saying they're exploiting people to make a buck, but every tour guide has their own place that they tell these stories. We found out like there were when we were there, there was probably a dozen different tour guides taking people to a dozen different places and telling stories from the Bible as if these places were the very specific spot where no one really knew for sure. And they were their own team of folks selling relics, providing rides, selling lunch to the travelers who would want to see something that at the time was so ordinary that no one even took note of it. But now, after the Jesus story, after Jesus' resurrection and the global spread of his uh, rescue of humanity, anyone with a legitimate claim to a biblical relic, it seems like, can make a dollar. Why? Because the Jesus story, it turns ordinary things into extraordinary. All these people are regular folks, Mary, Joseph, smelly old shepherds. What has made them special to people is Jesus' fame. Imagine if those shepherds wrote a book uh, today, the, the conversations that would be had, the chores of the day, the, the boredom of the day, but ending with a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence of the angelic announcement and the family having a baby just as they had been told. I mean, if, if those guys would have just been jotting down some notes about their day, if they would have had a good co-author to tell their story of these guys, just ordinary, simple people, maybe even wondering, why am I here? What's my, what's my life amounting to? That it would make a Hallmark movie of the year? It probably has without the shepherd's memoirs. Because what Jesus did is taking everyday average kind of ordinary things and making them extraordinary because of his story of what unfolded. When Jesus arrives, he turns the ordinary into extraordinary. I'll just take a few more minutes. I know I went a little long on part one. But Luke chapter 2, we left off verse 15. Verse 16 says, So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds arrive and tell everyone the news, and even in Mary and Joseph, who were already following God's leading, start to, you know, try to ponder and figure out exactly how all this is working out. The Lord would then lead them out of Bethlehem to a foreign land. Matthew tells how the Lord leads Mary and Joseph into Egypt and back again into the Holy Land after Herod's death because of his threat and then his execution of the, the children two years and younger in that area. But talk about ordinary. 
Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They settled back in Nazareth. So Jesus is known as a Nazarene now because where he grows up his, his youthful days. And that's where Philip says, you know, uh, come and see. Come and see if some, something extraordinary has come out of Nazareth. These names of cities produced quite an industry of revenue stream today. Every place associated with the Jesus story seems to be uh, a place people flock, but not, not by the visitors, the travelers who are seeking a connection. I, I don't think like everybody who goes to these sites is trying to exploit and make money because there's something about within you that like wants to know the story at, an, at a, at a pers- more personal level. Like you want to kind of have a, a tactile, a, you know, touch and feel, and there is something kind of uh, dynamic in your senses that when you're, in, when you're in Israel and you're walking in those places, that kind of in your own person and in your spirit, you're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to feel it a little deeper. You're trying to connect it. You're trying to, you're trying to look at the same skyline, look at the same waterfront, look at the same hillsides as are depicted in the scriptures. I believe that's what draws millions of people back to Israel over and over again is a, a chance to walk where, where Jesus walked, to, to float on the, the Dead Sea. I don't know if you know the Dead Sea. You can float in like three inches of water. You can float and not touch the bottom. You know, it's so weird, the buoyancy factor of laying in that, in that water. Uh, it, it's really kind of a, a, a weird feeling. You can pray near the wall of the temple that still remains. You can learn about the Jewish culture and understand the scripture in a more dynamic way. And sure, some people are all about the dollars and what that means, but it it doesn't take away from the heart of those who desire to understand, uh, have a greater understanding of God through traveling these ancient areas or pausing from their life to actually study the scripture integrated into geography. And for each of us, things in our story become important to us. It's hard to throw away things when we're attached to them, even if they're only important to us and to our family and to our kids and our parents. I mean, if you got an acreage, you, you probably got stuff that other people don't want to get rid of, but now they're making you hang on to it, Carl, right? Probably. Jonathan, probably, right? You got stuff? Carmen, I have stuff at your place? Oh. <laughs> yeah. But I've been throwing away stuff, you know. Fortunately, you know, I'm part of that 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 group that they say Americans move every three years. We, uh, you know, we we've moved. We were in our last house nine, almost ten years, and now we've been in this house two and a half years, and we'll go for sale in February, and we'll be moving again. But I was recently thinking I was going through some of my stuff and just getting rid of things, and and. Uh, uh, I gave, I called my kids, said, anybody want any of my books? I have so many books, you know, from all my years of study and then my master's track and all this stuff and Bible college and just collecting books. And then I thought, who's ever going to look at these? Now, even when I study, I go online all the time. I don't want to look up a page number. Now I can go like, where's that phrase from? And then I find that, who, I don't have to go to look to a book anymore, like, right? So I'm like, I'm getting rid of my books. I send a note to my kids, my kids five kids, none of them want one book, you know, they're like, no thanks dad, we don't want your junk either, and uh, so Dave Thomason, though, you know, he wanted some of my junk, so he came over, Dave harvested a bunch of these books and that, my kids didn't want them, 
Uh, but when I brought it up to my kids, my, I did get a few texts. Like Dylan said, Dad, I want your Coke machine. I have an old school. Yeah. And Ariel piped in on that stream said, I want your little scooter because I rebuilt this Lance Venice scooter. You know, it's really called a Lance Venice. I didn't make that up. And, uh, and so they were piping in like, I want the scooter when you croak. And then... Brianna topped them all. She said, Dad, I just want the house. That's it. <laughs> but the shepherds got it right. It says in verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. They weren't, they weren't making note of, oh, here's what happened on that ground, or this is holy ground over here, or these are, this is what we got to see. No, they came back and they were trying to give praise to God for the things that they had seen and they had heard and that had unfolded just like they had been told. The ordinary mountain didn't get the credit. They praised God, not the location that the angels appeared to them. Our human, we we want to we kind of want those trophies. Like when Peter and remember when they when when the three saw Jesus' transfiguration, was it like Moses and Elijah that appeared to him and Jesus having this conversation with these you know you know heroes of the faith that have come back to earth in angelic form? I can't even describe understand what that was all about, but. Peter said, hey, Lord, we should build, you know, some some statues here. So as a memorial that we can re remember and, you know, because as humans, we want this tangible, touching reminder. Someone told me once about their rhubarb plants, how they were heirloom seeds, how special they were. They were transplanted from a friend's grandmother's farm who had passed away, and now they had these legacy seeds of rhubarb plant uh, to her they were special i found out because my guys had walked all over them while we were reciting their house and i had no idea there were legacy heirloom rhubarb seeds living and thankfully my sister-in-law told me she uh, first she said i've ripped out whole patches and they keep coming back so don't worry lance i i think they're going to grow back and in the spring and i just said please lord let that rhubarb grow Joan has some cute little stitched drying towels from her grandmother who just passed away recently at 96 years old a few years ago. And they meant a lot to me that Joan got these with grandma's hand stitching on them because Joan got a set when we first got married and when she was young, it was in her hope chest and, and through the years. And then I got in trouble because, you know, I thought I needed a towel to wax my car really nice and to clean those rims and I I took this little they were soft and white and really you could you know and Joan was like you know what are you doing those are dish towels those are for my grandmother and so when grandma passed away and the kids were splitting stuff up Joan got a whole section of these hand stitched little I haven't used one not even to dry dishes with okay I made it through uh, I'm still getting nervous. There was a spill. The youth were over at our house. They spilled, and I was like, Joan! They're like, what towels under pressure do you grab to soak things up? You know, like, I don't want to grab grandma's hand-stitched things and soak up somebody's coffee spill. Joan has some authentic silver from Grandma DeBoer. Uh, you know, she lived almost to be 100 years old, too. She died at 95 years old, and and scraping, making it through the Depression, and uh, investing in this silver and passing them down to Joan, granddaughter, and uh, maybe they're not all that valuable, but they're valuable to us, right?
because we know the people. We know the story, and we want to hold that. And the shepherds and the mother and the inn and the manger and the town, they're not sacred. It's the backstory that makes these places special, that ca- causes us to, to pause, to, to reflect, to take in. These are pieces of in our nativity scene that become meaningful, important to us as people of faith because of the story of God, that it was off in this little manger that God made a way, that Jesus would even say himself, I am the way, right? Not just a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The life of Jesus that makes ordinary kind of little simple things all around us pretty extraordinary. We stand with me. Go up there and pluck a little. And we think just pluck. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. That you've taken us because of what you've done in us. If there's anything extraordinary about us, if there's been anything divine about us, if there's anything worth writing about, it's because you've shaped us and made us and carved us in your image. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of the gospel, for the for the message of a Savior, and we pray that in the midst of all that's going on, all the hustling and bustling, friends, would you just join me right now in praying for our city right now? Father, we just pray for Sioux Falls and the surrounding areas and these little towns, and there's so many people and behind doors and behind a curtain that, that we don't know about the struggles, we don't know about the depression, we don't know about the anxiety, we don't know about the, the great loss that they've gone through, and Lord, I just pray that as, as we go, Lord, that you, you send us, as, in a sense, as, as a light that would have a, that a kind word to say, that would, that would be a, a friend to somebody in need, that would, that, Lord, if you open that door, if we could, if, if be, what's behind that curtain is those, those hurts are brought before us. Help us, God, to be people that care, people that pray, people that love. We pray that, the, that this community, as much as it's growing, the economy is burgeoning and there's, there's uh, such growth in every direction. But God, may, the, may the, the light and the hope of Jesus be, be the anchor, be the center for these folks. And we pray for the peace in Israel with all that's going on around the world today. We pray, God, that your, your holy land and your holy people would be respected and honored, even if they haven't come to the truth of who Jesus is, the great Messiah yet. We know, your Lord, your blessing surrounds them. We know we 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 can't begin to figure out all the dynamics in the Middle East politically. And but but we do trust, Lord, that your will is going to be done. And we pray for good things for the for for the people of Israel. And for the people who who now have known the Messiah and are the people of God in this country, may there be a great revival and a a turning to you, uh, authentic service and dedication to a holy, awesome, amazing God in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas.